straight into the Word this morning, Acts chapter 17. If you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, I'm going to read with you um, Acts chapter 17 from verse 16. And this is Paul in Athens. And if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know we've been talking about sharing the gospel, shares the gospel, that a mature Christian shares the gospel. And and, um, this is what we're going to be talking about this morning, another stage of that. So read with me, Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to, seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, where they said to him, "May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean." <clears throat> All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. That remind you of anybody? Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way that you're very religious. For as I walk around and I look carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, And he marked out their appointed times in history and the the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would see him, seek him, and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. He has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed, and among them was Dionysus, a member of the Oropagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Clearly the others weren't as important as these two, but a number of others as well. So far, the uh, reading this morning. So, just, just to recap you, to, to bring you up to speed, we're looking this year at this, the traits of becoming a mature disciple. If we could put the first slide up. And um, just to remind you of where we're at, and we're doing this every week, so you can see we're looking at the traits of, a mature, of mature disciples because that's where we feel like God, that's what we believe that God's calling us to be um, as individuals, but 
also as, as a church community. And we looked at being part of a church family. We looked recently at praying selflessly. And now these last couple of weeks, we've been looking at sharing the gospel, shares the gospel. And um, the third thing in the wheel. And then, so our, our few weeks on sharing the gospel, we've um, subtitled that, if you like, or we've given that the, the mini-theme, We Are All Witnesses, with the emphasis to, to help us to understand that this is not just some sort of theological exposition. This is not some kind of information or um, not some sort of series of sermons to say, oh, wow, that's, that's truth, but that it's actually our truth, that we are all witnesses, that a mature Christian shares the gospel, and that's not the mature Christian next to you, that's you, that we are all witnesses. And we really want that to, to be part of what we're talking about. And we talked about the first week I shared about having confidence in the gospel, to share it and, and to know that the gospel is empowered by God and not by us, and that it does its work, you know, that the Holy Spirit moves in, in the gospel and the gospel has power to do its work and we, have con- and we can have confidence to obey the call to share the gospel, not because we're good, but because the message is good. And last week, um, if you were here, Glenn shared on communicating the gospel. That we need to actually communicate the gospel, not just by living good lives. You know, sometimes we can fall into the trap of saying, let's just be really good people. And somehow, by accident, some of the gospel might rub off onto people. You know, they might catch something like a bit like a virus just by watching us. And Glenn made it clear that living good lives is one of the ways, but that that's not enough that we need to communicate it in words that we need to know how to tell the story he talked about how to tell your story and how to connect it with their story and that was a really important progression for us to understand and to understand to, uh, to help us to understand to have the, no, the the knowledge of the flow of the story the flow of God's work how to communicate it. And I don't know if you thought about that um, this week after listening to Glenn, whether you figured, you know, what would be the things that I would highlight, you know, creation, sin, um, the fall, redemption, and, and Jesus coming again, the new earth or however. You know, how would you communicate that? But it is really important to understand that. So when Glenn talked about knowing their story and how you can connect the story to their stories is kind of where we want to go today. We want to look at context in gospel sharing, that we need to understand the context that we, we share the gospel in, how important it is that we understand the context that we're in, and not just right now worldwide, but even daily, the, the context that you might find yourself in, um, in the places that you go, the places that you are regularly. How do we learn to tell the good news in a way that fits the context or speaks into the context that we're in? You know, think of things like culture. Um, think of things like even subculture. Within a culture, there's subcultures, isn't there? Think of life situations. What is someone's life situation? That's a context. What, is the, what are the generational influences you know, in the, the younger generation as opposed to the, the middle age and the older generation? What are the demographics? What, you know where you are, what, what are the kind of people that, that are around you are. And these things matter. When we, we share the gospel, it's important that, that we take into account these things. How do we tell or how do we communicate the good news, understanding the context, so that it can be easily considered, 
and, and well-received, that it'll have impact and meaning. And that's where our text is really great, because in our text, Paul is in Athens, and he notices that the city is full of idols. Right at the start of our reading there, he was distressed to see the city was full of idols. In the original text in the language, that was the word, the original word actually translates better as swamped. That the city was swamped by idols. It wasn't just, you know, they were, they, they were, they were just everywhere. And Paul notices the city is swamped by idols and that they had every contingency covered. If they discovered something where they felt like, oh, we're not covered there, they whipped up another idol or they whipped up another, another god. And um, this bothered him greatly. So being Paul, he decides to share the gospel. That's what we would do, right? Don't look at me like that. That's what we would do, right? Um, he decides to share the gospel. The truth there. You know, what he doesn't do, and this is really interesting, in reading one of the commentaries I read, what he doesn't do is he doesn't get overwhelmed by this swamping of idols and, oh man, this is such a bad place. Everything's going to pot here. This is terrible. This is horrible. How are we ever going to do anything against that? And that's kind of like we get. You know, when, you, when we start talking about, oh, have you read the internet? Look, game, oh, it's all just, everything's, oh, you know, it's terrible, this world. How we, you know, he doesn't do that. He doesn't throw up his hands and think, oh, hopeless. He actually decides, I need to share the gospel here. There's, there's a lot wrong here and there's a lot going the wrong way, but I'm going to share the gospel. And I felt like that was a really important word to us. Even just that, even that's not what I'm preaching on. That's a really important word to us. That we can often throw up our hands and think, wow, stuff is going backwards at an incredible rate. What can I do? Well, like Paul, we can share the gospel. And he decides to do that, you know. And notice that he spent, like in verse 23, it says he spent careful time in Athens. He spent time getting to know the context. That's important for us to know, that we spend time looking, observing, and understanding the context. So he goes to two places. And the two places that he does that is in a synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks and the marketplace, quote-unquote, or a gathering place. You can imagine the, the, the context would have been really different. Like the synagogue context would have been a different way for him to communicate than the marketplace. The Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, well, they didn't believe in, um, they didn't believe in Jesus as Messiah. They, they didn't have that, and, but they did have all the prophets and, and the understanding of the sacrificial system and etc. So his approach to, to speaking to them would have been different than in the marketplace, wouldn't it? And... Um, different language, using different examples and perhaps persuading differently. And you can see that if you read a little bit earlier in Acts chapter 17, you can see that in Thessalonica and in Berea, he spends all his time trying to persuade the, the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks who had not received Jesus as a Messiah. He spends his time talking to them and persuading them. But then he goes to the marketplace. And this was a, a place where people gathered, if you like, you know, uh, in today's situation, that might be at uni. It could be um, at uni if you're young. It could be the pub if you, you into that. It could be the sporting club that you're a part of. It could be your workplace. It could even be your family or, or social gatherings. Places where people gather and, and just hang out. You know, um, um, at the soccer sometimes, I, um, I'm, I'm sure that everybody at the soccer is watching the soccer, but... I don't know if that's always true because oftentimes people are just hanging out and the soccer is kind of like the reason we're here but we're talking about all sorts of other stuff. 
Now think of those sort of situations when you're hanging out with something. And so this marketplace was where people hung out. But it was also a place where people debated. Now, I don't know if that happens in our world nowadays. You know, I haven't been in the street corner in Melbourne and heard a debate going on. But perhaps in unis and that it does. But it was also a place where people debated. And um, Paul engages the Epicureans and Stoics. And they were, because I had to figure out what they were. I thought, I can't just read this and then not figure out who, they, who are these guys, you know. They were the, 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 pretty much the cultural and the societal influences of the day. They were the two ends of, of influence. And, and ironically, like, like most governments, you know, when it suited them, they all got together. You know, think of our Labour and Liberal governments. Anyway, they were the cultural and society influences, the decision makers. They were the ones that pretty much set the tone for what was right, what could go in society in, in the, in, in, and, and what couldn't go, um, what was a good moral or, or religious practice and what wasn't, and how would we determine that. And they would pretty much make decisions that would, would give direction or tilt the culture in a certain way. However, they had two opposing ideas, and they spent time debating those ideas. That was, I don't know, who paid them, but that's what they did. They just stood around debating and arguing with each other. If you've ever been to Oakley at like 10 or 11 in the morning and walked through that, that shopping strip, you know, with all the Greek signs, you'll often see these, these old Greek men sitting around having coffee, and they're always yelling at each other. That's what makes me think of that, you know. They're always kind of like... Yeah, my wife makes better baklava than your wife, or something like that, you know, something like that, I'm sure. But anyway, so that's what sort of, so they're just debating at each other all the time, you know. And um, the Stoics, if, if just quickly, the Stoics, here's, here's their main points. I'm not going to read the whole thing I read about it. But they believe that free will is an illusion. They believe that all good and bad things happen in life, and you need to accept them without emotion. That there's just, you know, um, there's this God called Zeus who orders everything. And emotion is not a good thing. And the ideal person is a strong, non-emotional man of pure reason. So this was the Stoics. This was what they thought. And then you had the Epicureans. And their main points were sort of saying, you know, free will is central. Human beings are the only ones responsible for their own fate, more or less. You know, religion is just an illusion. Live with everything in moderation, etc., etc. So here's your two opposing views, and when it suited them, they got together, which is really interesting. Now, I'm, I'm saying all this to, to help us understand that it was important for Paul to understand and engage the context and communicate the gospel in a way, in that way. To, to, to understand who am I speaking to? What, what do they think? What do they understand? What kind of world are they living in? in their head, and how am I going to do that? And he discovered in this case that the way was going to be intellect. That was going to be the channel. He was going to have to engage intellect. He was going to have to debate with them, wasn't he? He was going to have to use philosophical reason and discussion in order to share the gospel with them, perhaps differently than what he did in the synagogue with the, um, the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. Because he knew that the good news, the gospel, and we've been talking about that the last couple of weeks, that that was needed here, that the Stoics and Epicureans, they weren't a lost cause. They weren't, oh, well, I'm just going to see if I can find some Christians in here and just let them go. They needed the gospel. And that's the important thing. Sometimes we sort of think, let's just wade through all the heathens and find some Christians. And the people that don't want to listen, we'll just swipe them aside. Well, Paul doesn't do that. He says, no, no, they actually need the gospel. 
the gospel is good news for them as well, you know, and, I'm, um, and it has power. And we can see looking back that it did. It obviously challenged them because they haul him before the Oropagus. Now, I had to look up what's the Oropagus. Anyone want to tell me what the Oropagus is? Oh, let me tell you. I knew you'd ask. So the Oropagus was a, if you like, was kind of like the high court. But it wasn't a high court only on criminal and legal stuff like it is, like we understand. It was the high court that, that made decisions about society and whether someone could bring in a new religious practice or could bring in a, 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 uh, a way of thought or something. You know, and, and they debated in the Oropagus as well. But they, they were confronted by Paul's message. And later in verse 32, you can read towards the end of our reading that they wanted to hear more. They wa- we want to hear you again on that. You see, because Paul knew that it wasn't the gospel was powerful for even thinkers. That thinkers, and this is important for us to understand, sometimes thinkers are often open to things much more than you think if you find the right way to communicate with them. And Paul found the right way to communicate with them. Not all of them, but some of them did. So we don't live in Athens. And we don't have Epicureans and Stoics. We have other sorts of things, but... What about for us? I think it's important for us to, to understand that there's a few ways we can see context, even in our setting, and, and a few global ways we can see it. And I think of personal context. When, you, when you're sharing the gospel, when you're sharing with someone, understanding their personal context, their, their one-on-one understanding. What, what, what is this person's life like? Where do they come from? What, what kind of background or what would they understand? You know, are they... You know, are they a deep thinker? Are they, you know, um, are they a sports person? Are they, you know, uh, what's their family background? Understanding their personal context is really important. That's one way. The other way we need to think is in terms of social and cultural context and include things like subcultures. And let me explain that. It's what's the situation like that, that they live in or that they come from? What are the challenges and what are the behaviours in that context? What are the normal behaviours? What are the, the challenges that that context? Think of youth subcultures or gangs or um, perhaps even cultural groups that, that congregate in areas of the city. What's influencing them? And in where am I? Where, do I? where do I find myself in that? And one of the other ways is looking at historical context. What, what's the norm here? What do they normally? What's the norm in this place? What are the long-standing practices? You know, and that's true everywhere. If you walk into this church and you spend a little bit of time in this church, you al- you already know that this is a subculture. There are things that we do normally here that we we've gotten used to. That we've, you know, church is actually one of the. Maybe I better not go down this road. My church is one of the places where we can grow that really quickly. You know, we, I remember a story of, you know, in the last church I was in, we, at Advent, we changed the way we did Advent. Every year they lit candles for Advent, right? A candle at every Sunday leading up to Advent. So we decided to change that. Well, you know, changing things is not always a good idea in church, but we did. We changed it. So we did this new thing where we had this wooden tree thing, I think, Anyway, we added a branch to the tree and we did it a little bit of a different way. And after about three years, we decided to change and um, change it again. And someone came up and said, we can't. We always do it with that wooden tree. 
Because here's something that's become a norm really quickly, you know. So what is the norm? What, you know, how do we communicate in the norm? What's, what's the long-standing practice? What's the beliefs? What are the laws where I am? I wanted to um, um, help us to understand that a little bit better with just a couple of um, short testimonies. And, and I, I was speaking to um, Luke Vandenberg last week. And Luke is part of um, BSF, Bible Studies, every week. And uh, he was just sharing with me what they were doing, where they were talking about, where they had some sessions on sharing the gospel. And he shared a little bit of a, uh, an example that, that he had. So I'm just going to get him ask, come up and I'm going to ask him a couple of questions and, and so you can get an idea of this kind of context. So Luke, you were in your, in your BSF, you had to do a scenario where you had to share the gospel with someone one-on-one, right? Yep. And um, what was the context that you were given to share that in? What was the, the, the personal situation of the person that was hearing the gospel? Yeah, so um, in the BSF we had this seminar afterwards which we learned about sharing the gospel. So the first thing we did was, uh, like what Glenn shared last week, we learned about what to share. So they taught us, you know, like the talk, talking about God, then talking about sin, um, and then talking about Jesus and what he did, and then talking about man's reasonable response. So we first learned about what we, to share, and then we kind of talked about how to share. So we sat down in pairs and uh, we were given scenarios. So I sat down with uh, one guy and he um, first, uh, his scenario to me was, um, so he was um, without a job. Oh, sorry, I, was, I did it to him. So I was without a job and uh, so he would then try and talk to me and try and bring God into that um, conversation. And then my scenario to him was uh, for... Like, I just don't have any, um, oh, sorry, he, he, he said to me he has no um, need for God in his life. So a very Australian culture, I guess, what you were saying, um, that they don't have any need for God in their life at all. Um, yeah, so that was the context that I had to try and con- yeah. bring God into that. So was it, was it challenging to share the gospel in that context? And, and how was it challenging? Uh, it was very t- challenging. I guess if I was in that situation in day-to-day life, I'd probably run, run from that conversation. Um, that's probably the way that I'd go about it. But in this scenario, I had to actually do it. Um, so generally, the people who don't need religion in their lives, are they negative people? So uh, that was something that is not easy to, um, for me to, I guess, engage in that kind of conversation. Um, so you also have to be very careful how you talk in that, what words you say and what um, kind of, um, how you tackle that kind of conversation. Um, but I guess it was good to, con- to remember that I'm not trying to convert them then and there as well. Mm-hmm. It might take multiple conversations, even years, for that to happen. Yeah. And did you find that you probably needed to, uh, in sharing the gospel, you need to adapt it to suit the, person that you, the, the context of the person you're speaking to? Yeah, so... Um, definitely have to adapt it um so i guess but having him talk to me and me trying to bring gospel into that conversation and then me doing it to him as well um so like someone who's lost their job and then for someone who doesn't need christianity in their life we could see that definitely those two conversations went very differently to each other mm. um but i guess playing it out and i guess having that um, that opportunity to practice this conversation is also very good as well. But yeah, definitely seeing the different conversations. And there's many different scenarios that you'd have as well, like people who are sick or get cancer or... Yeah, so there's different contexts, definitely. And 
I guess just being prepared is the best way. Yeah. Great. Thanks, mate. Thanks right. for that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And um, there was one other. I was just going to get Sabrina to come up and share. Uh, last week, Sabrina spoke to um, uh, in at Generate spoke to us on on um, evangelism and sharing the gospel. And then after the that the young adults. Um, went and, and had dinner and, and did something, which was probably gospel sharing in this context. So just pop up. So tell us a little bit about what happened quickly, the short version. Yes. So after Generate, uh, all our young adults, we went to Keystone Cafe restaurant um, and we actually gathered an offering. So before we went for our waitress or whoever was going to serve us that night, um, just as a really practical way to to love them and to share a bit of Jesus with them. So we weren't really look. I didn't really know how much of that we were going to get to her but it was yeah really good so why did you think of doing it that way how did you think that was connected with sharing the gospel Mm. I guess for me personally like I've always believed that I think Keystone like God wants Keystone and I think like our church like we are one of if not the only main avenue in which that's going to happen we go there regularly it makes sense Um, in terms of giving money like I just felt like you know our waitresses here like I mean everyone is receptive to receiving money right and I think (laughs) I think I was like what a simple and really easy way that we can just be Jesus in a community to to give her some money just to tell her that she's doing a great job at her job that God loves her that's pretty much all we said I learned a little bit about her faith background where she's from and um yeah pretty much I actually believe that this isn't going to end here either like and I would really encourage like everyone who does go to Keystone regularly like Keep working. Chloe, her name is. Chloe. We're going to keep working. (laughs) Thanks. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So just to get this idea that sharing the gospel can look different. It can be a conversation. Thanks, Sabrina. Like, um, yeah, thanks Thanks for sharing that. And um, it was great to hear that. It can be a conversation one-on-one with somebody. It can be a debate that you're having with some people at uni or something. But it can be just an act of service. You're saying, you know what, we love you and Jesus loves you and something of the heart of the gospel or the door is open to the next conversation. Next time the young adults go, there is a group or, or we're all going there for dinners and lunches now, right? Yeah. Oh, you're enthusiastic. Your enthusiasm is underwhelming, people. No, seriously. But the, the gospel, there's ways that contextually we can share the gospel. We can share the gospel with a waitress in a... Uh, in a cafe, they don't have to be sitting there in a Bible study with us, that we can begin to express the gospel to them. So like Paul did, we need to learn about the context. And that takes listening, observing, to see what the context is, and considering how and and when the, the good news would fit there. Culture, subculture matters. It runs deep and it has huge influence. You know, we don't know the situation of, well, just a scenario that Luke did, but that could very really happen in life, you know. I worked for many years with a guy that respected me as a Christian, um, always did, but he was very successful. He had everything he needed. Nothing was wrong in his life. And he would just say, he said, I can't see why I need God. It doesn't add anything, you know, and that's it, a different context. But it can also be just showing love to somebody and figuring out, even a girl working in a cafe. You know, um, Honouring culture is really important. You know, Jesus um, honoured culture and honoured his context. And, and honouring the context and culture is important. Back in the days of YWAM, we would take teams into Bosnia after the, the war in um, Bosnia, Croatia and that region. And to sit with the family. And of course, YWAM having a subculture 
from you know southern america if you like where you don't touch alcohol alcohol's really bad and everything here we are in bosnia a ywam team of lots of you know innocent you know young uh, missionaries sitting in the living room of a bosnian thing and to 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 and they give you this this alcohol that you've got and you you drink and that's part of accepting them as a family there's this whole and so so you had this subculture and culture clash there which was really interesting to watch and then um anyway i think understanding um, the culture and the context and honoring it for us to share the gospel with these people we needed to honor their culture we needed to um, line up with how they felt like it was important for them to be welcoming and with many cultures it's food it's a meal in africa you know the first thing you do you know you get there with your team and you're ready to minister and you're ready to do whatever you do in the early days with why when we'd be in africa and we would have our drama ready and we'd we'd have everything ready and we'd we'd find our spot in the village and we would want to get ready but there was no people and someone said well you have to come to the pastor's house first and we had to have this huge lunch we had to eat the food even if we couldn't see what it really was you know, we had to eat the food and enjoy and 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 then they would warm up to you and they would invite people to come and then they would then they're ready for your message. So that was the way to bring the gospel into that culture. And I think that's true of many. And subcultures can be lots of things, can't they? They can be generations, it can be sport, it can be fashion. Um, it can be a particular way that, um, uh, uh, you know, think of nerd space. When John Chambers was doing nerd space, that was a subculture. They were, they were people the same age as many of us, but they were very interested in a certain thing. And their life revolved around that. Someone that's a sport fanatic, their life revolves around that. So how do you, how do you bring the gospel in a contextual way to someone like that? We share the good news and tell stories in a way that connects with the culture that makes sense and it speaks into them. What it means is that we need to spend time in other contexts. Like Sabrina says, we need to go and eat at Keystone. But it's that, um, we do need to spend time in other, in other contexts. If we spend our time in only one context, if, you're only in the time, if you only spend your time with your family or only around other Christians or people that think, think exactly the same as you, then it's really hard to understand. We need to spend time in other contexts helping us to understand how the gospel can best be communicated. And that brings other cultures, other subcultures and people from other contexts into our lives, into our circles, allowing them to be a part of our narrative. Not changing their context or their culture, but allowing them to be a part of the narrative. And that's what Paul wanted. Paul didn't want them to not be Epicureans or to not be Stoics or to not be Greeks in living Athens anymore, but he knew that they needed the news of the gospel right in their context. You know, and sometimes we think, well, why is this important? Didn't we say that, you know, the first week when I spoke about the gospel, didn't we say that it's God's truth and God empowers it and it's God that's going to do it um, and the message is truth anyway, so why don't we just come with the truth and do we need to contextualize? And I think we do. We need to respect individuals. We need to respect the diversity that God's made in this world and in people. We need to respect um, the way that God has designed and where God has placed people. We want to help people experience the love of Jesus and the truth of his work in their context. We don't want to drag them out of their context, perhaps creating this sense that the gospel is only the truth outside of their context. Let me say that again because that's really important. What we often try to do is we, 
what we often try to do is take them out of their context and that gives this illusion that the gospel works out but it doesn't work in your setting. We need to learn how to help them understand that the gospel, the good news works in their context and will change them in their context. We want them to see that they need the good news too. You know, if Jesus was here, I was thinking, what would you, if Jesus was here now, he wouldn't tell a sheep parable in a high-rise office to reach corporate Australia. He's not going to use that, is he? That's not going to work. And he probably definitely wouldn't use 10 virgins waiting for one guy story in our context. That's weird. Yeah, he, he, he wouldn't, but, but he knew that. He knew that he was speak, what context he was speaking into in all of his stories. And I, I thought I could go on, but I won't go on with other stories. The messages can be applied, of course. The messages that, that, that Jesus was trying to communicate, and we can, they can be applied, of course, but the language and what you use as an analogy suits the context, the times, and the culture. You know, as a church here at One Hope, we've worked... Um, we've been working to understand our context, to understand where we live, where we are, where God has placed us as a, as a church community. And we've tried to, to listen to God and allow, uh, allow, that to, allow Him through that to shape our ministry. Where are we? Who lives around us? What are the needs here? Why are we here? What are our gifts? What can we do? Our context demands that we share the gospel in different ways than perhaps other churches do even close to us and around us. Maybe we do it differently, and that is God's plan. You know, God's Word says that one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. People of all tribes, nations, and then I added, and contexts. That's what the Word says, doesn't it? This would be yes and a bit... So if that's true, then the gospel will work in every tribe, nation, knee, heart, context. And so we need to communicate it. We know that it works. We know that we need to communicate in them. Every knee will bow. We need to truly believe that what we have is good news for the place and the surroundings we find ourselves. That gives us confidence. We spoke on that two weeks ago. Then it becomes important to communicate it, having understood better how in our context, then we need to communicate it. And that's what Glenn talked about last week. And then we need to make the good news speak into all contexts. The good news doesn't change contexts, it changes people. Let me say that again. The good news, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ doesn't change contexts, it changes people. That's important. It changes the people that live and operate in them. And Jesus gave us so many examples of this. He spoke on the kingdom of God. When he came, he began to speak on the kingdom of God. He spoke, he knew what he was speaking into a context that was waiting and yearning and had been hungering for 400 years for this new king. So the language he used connected completely with their context. He knew their desire of the promise was to be fulfilled and he knew that. And they were ripe for his message the way that he spoke it. He told lots of parables that engaged the culture. Jesus observed and understood. And ultimately, he entered our context and became, became the embodiment. He became the good news himself, didn't he? Right in our context. There is no better example of the good news coming into a context than Jesus himself. 
Jesus was the good news and he came into our context. He didn't drag us out of our context and say, you need... He went into the context and he was the good news. And that is good news. He took on the context himself so that he could be the good news. That's good news. And that's good news for us as well, isn't it? I think when we think of, you know the challenge to share the gospel and we're thinking about being confident, communicating, we're getting our strategies together and now we're looking at the context we're going to share it in. It can feel like do, 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 do. And of course there is some of that. But the good news, the real good news for you and I sitting here today is that Jesus was good news and came into our context and he still is. He lives in us. He came he became one of us. He became like us. He took on our context physically. He took on who we were just so that, the good, so that we could experience the good news. You know, and we, we're going to celebrate Lord's Supper and that's what we think about. We, we, we remember that Jesus left his Father's side and he, he came into our context not only to bring the good news but to be the good news like we've been saying. He would allow his body to be broken, his blood to be shed. He would allow himself to be subject and, and submitted to the culture and the context he's in so that we could be set free from the rule of sin in our lives. That we could now live in this new system. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago I talked about the good news was actually not even a religious term. The gospel was good news of a new system, a new rule, a new reign, something new, a new set of values. Well, that's what happened. Jesus was broken, his body was broken, his blood was shed so that we could now live under that new system, that new freedom, and we could look forward with anticipation to a future of eternity with him that was not possible before then. That is good news. You know, we need to hear the good news too. We need to share the good news and we need to do the things that Luke was talking about and, and Sabrina and we've been talking about. But we need to hear the good news in our hearts echoing again and again. And so when we celebrate Lord's Supper, we're, we're commanded to remember the good news. We're commanded to remember, but also to be reminded of who, who Jesus was and who good news was. To remind each other as we gather as a family, kind of um, when, the, when the disciples got together. And it's um, interesting that we do this, you know, you, could, you can celebrate communion just with someone else one-on-one, -on -one, and, and there's probably appropriate times to do that. But the really cool thing is that when you do it as a family, and we've talked about family this morning with new people joining our family, it's kind of, what's the kind of thing, the one thing that families do when they kind of generally all come together? Dinner, a meal, isn't it? It's, it's kind of when you get together for a meal. And it's, isn't it interesting that that's when Jesus chose to share with the disciples and talk about um, what he was about to do, to, to reveal to them, to remind them, you know, I'm, you know, you need to do this together. When you get together as a family, when you get together, guys, and he's talking with the guys, but when you get together as, and have a meal, I want you to do this. And I want you to do this just because I want you to have tears of sorrow. I want you to remember what I did. I want you to remember that I came here with you bringing good news, that I am the good news, that you no longer live in bondage to sin. You no longer live under that conviction or condemnation, but you're set free. And that's what I want you to do. And um, when you gather, do this. 
celebrate the good news till I return. And in the word it says, on the night, and 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 um, on the night he was betrayed, and and um, this was the kind of like you, I, you can imagine what you can't imagine what was going on in his mind when he was having that last. Year. How can you relax at dinner when you know what's about to happen? I mean, really. Think about it. I mean, you hear it so much, sometimes we're a little bit dead to the whole, you know, a bit unfeeling to the whole thing. But imagine sitting there knowing what's about to happen. But then he says this, because he, he, he's a presence of mind to say to his disciples, he gave thanks and he grabbed the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body. He's just telling them what's going to happen. This is my body, which is for you. Do this. When you get together, do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, when they'd finished eating, he took the cup and all the time knowing what was going to happen, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it, remember me. Remember what I did. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You remember the Lord's death. You remember what Jesus did. Until he comes again, because he is coming again. And that's when we'll see the end of the good news, the good story. So we're going to celebrate Lord's Supper. I'm going to get the leaders to come up. And, and, uh, and as you take, take the elements, there, you know, often what we do here is when you come forward, and leaders, you can come forward while I'm saying it. When you come forward, the, the, what the leaders do is they are reminding you, they're, they're they're following what Jesus, they're reminding you that, you know, you'll, when you take a piece of bread or when you take a cup, they'll say, you know, Jesus' body broken for you or Jesus' blood shed for you. That's that reminder, that's that obedience and saying, I'm reminding you, this was for you and this is why Jesus came. So as you come forward, come forward and listen to that and be reminded of what Jesus did for you. Come on forward. And when you sit back down again, we'll all celebrate it together. So the bread that we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. We share in what Christ did. Take it, eat, remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of our sins and for complete freedom. And the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks <clears throat> is a sharing in the blood of Christ. Take it, drink, remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the craving of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved, and God has raised you up with Christ. That's the good news. Even though you weren't deserving, even though you were still in the middle of doing everything that would turn your back to Christ, he still died for you. That's good news. That's the good news that the world needs. That's the good news that every single context needs to hear. 
That's the good news that can cut through everything else. And we can have confidence. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us again of the good news. We thank you that we're challenged to share the gospel. But, oh God, thank you for reminding us, for sharing the gospel with us again this morning as well. Recognizing that we are recipients of good news and that you reached us right where we were and you still reach us every day right where we are. Each one of us sitting here is different and have different things going on. And in your mercy, you reach into that. Lord, teach us to mirror that, to be ambassadors of that same thing as we share the gospel, as we bring the good news to wherever it's needed. That we would take the time to understand how to communicate with your people in a way that they could hear it and understand it. That we would have the courage to go to places that perhaps we haven't before, to do things, to say things, to to be perhaps who we hadn't before. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to do that? Would you not let us go and not give us peace until we do that? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to finish with a 